sorry, I should have coughed before I started recording. I feel like I had a bit of crisp stuck at the back of my throat. I was kind of like, is this the time I'm going to choke? Could you imagine if I was choking and all you could do is watch it, me on no. webcam? That's like a film. That's like unfriended. Yeah, I was going to say, is this not an unfriended thing? I've not even seen unfriended. <laughs> right, the thing about unfriended is that the first one, it's like typical horror trash. Mm-hmm. But the second one, I think it's genius. <laughs> really? Do I need to watch these everyone movies? Has, everyone I talk to, my headphones have just started beeping. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what I did finally finish this week, though. And I know I've said that every week since this show has begun, <laughs> that I was going to finish the morning show. But I did. I finally finished the morning show. And, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I did, I think... I found it slow because I watched it over a long period of time. Not planned that way. I just just didn't ever really feel like engaged to watch the next episode straight away. But I will say it was really good and it was very clever the way it dealt with. Like, I don't know about you and I do feel terrible saying this, but I am a little bit bored now of harassment storylines within TV shows just because I feel like it's been done so much and it gets to a certain point where I think they're just kind of glamorising it in a way. But... They dealt with this really well um, because it was very realistic on the handling of it in that the, like the cover-up side of it, per se. But yeah, but what I do feel is that, I mean, what's the main thing you've heard about this show? Because obviously you haven't watched it yet, but what's the main thing you've heard about this show? Um, Me Too, Jennifer Aniston's amazing, Me Too. That's that's what I know about the show. That's it. Yeah. When it comes to the performances, everyone talks about Jennifer Aniston. And yes, she's great. Mm. She plays this horrible character. I've got a really horrible character. But you don't hear about any of the other actors. And honest to God, mm-hmm. Gugu is incredible in this show. I she's didn't even know she was in it. Incredible, but that's... This is the thing. Yeah. Mindy Calling is in it as yeah, well. Yeah, I had no idea until I saw your tweet. I was like, oh, ensemble. Yeah, it's surprising. Um, but no, I definitely recommend it. I think if you've got Apple TV, it's well worth taking the um, free trial just to watch this show. Obviously, depending, Jacob's on there as well. But yeah, I, I did enjoy it. But I do still think that Apple TV is probably a waste of money if you if you don't if you want to pay for it. I don't okay. Know. Just say. What have you watched though? What have I watched? Um, so in my ongoing love affair with medical dramas, I've picked up another one. So we've like. We're done with Chicago Med. We're done with Grey's Anatomy. I I find with medical dramas, I get into them, binge them, and then get bored and then never finish them. And I'm not going back to The Good Doctor after the way they ended season three. So I was like, oh, I need another one. Um, Season three? That show has three seasons? It has three seasons, yeah. And I binge them and then... Are you kidding? Yeah, and then... Huh? Three seasons? I know. Off the show with the little kid who's now now. Freddie Highmore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three seasons of the Freddie Highmore show. It's bizarre, but I didn't, I hated how they dealt with one of the storylines and it's just like, I'm not going back. Um, so I found Amazon Prime's New Amsterdam and it is right, so, this, so good. This has got the guy that was the hot teacher in the 90210, yeah. And apparently he's only like a year or two older than the people who like played students too. So that's bizarre looking back on. Um, yeah, it was really Yeah, good. but I really recommend it. So it's about a guy who like starts at New Amsterdam. It's New York's like but probably fake public hospital because I've never heard of it. Um, and yeah. can you imagine if it's real and our US listeners have just heard me say New Amsterdam is probably fake. She doesn't even know what a hospital is. <laughs> but yeah. This is a remake though, isn't it? So, this is a remake? Oh, is it? I know it's based on a book, but I didn't know it was a remake. That's interesting. Oh, okay. I might be thinking that it's based on a book. I just know that it was um, in like a form of media before. Oh, cool. But, but yeah. No, he just starts... He starts... Yeah, it was, it was based on a book. So. Oh, no, we just don't know anything. We don't know we? research, but he starts as the new medical director at this um, hospital, and he basically, like, on his first day, fires a bunch, like, a whole bunch of people, and he's like, "We're going to start doing things differently here." And it's just a really cool, like, you know what you expect from medical dramas, like, really kind of the adrenaline, like, it doesn't let up. So I'm really enjoying that, and I'm also watching um, "Say I Do," again, my ongoing love We've affair with. About this, yes that genre but um yeah it's essentially queer eye for weddings it's so good i recommend i'm excited to watch this yes i'm excited to watch this um again i just saw there as well new amsterdam's been given five seasons it's been renewed for five seasons so after season two they've renewed it for three oh that's so cool 
Uh, see, that makes me feel good that I don't have to, like, await a random cancellation all the way Netflix have gone about doing Ozark and Dead to Me, which are done at the end of their next seasons. Interesting, because obviously they're they're incredibly mm. popular. Obviously, Ozark probably more than Dead to Me. But I was quite shocked by that, because I feel like Dead to Me, you've got enough content there for a very long time. Yeah. It's weird. It's bizarre. But maybe it's the actors. You forget that, obviously, they're in contracts, aren't they? Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't want to do more than three. Um, just touching back on um, Ryan Matthews in Anna 2, and I always expected him to have an affair with the show. Oh, my God, me too. See, I thought... I don't remember him ever doing it, but as we were talking about it, and I'm like, oh, I bet he hooked up with a student. No, it's it's so weird. I think he dates... this. Now, listen, I only watched two seasons in I or two and I because I got incredibly upset by how much they ruined some of the characters because yeah. I just love that show. Um, but we could talk about that for another podcast episode. But from what I remember, he had a relationship with Naomi's older sister and then she said she was pregnant. Oh. But then I don't think the baby was his or maybe it was his. Interesting. I, I don't know. I don't think he was actually in the show for very long. I think they got rid of him. Which was a shame. It was mm. a shame. Yeah, 902 and I had a lot of promise, a lot of potential. I always forget they got rid of Dustin Milligan. They did. Yeah, of course, then went on. They did. They wrote him out the first series of the show. I don't know why. Um, but it, he went on to do Shit's Creek. So sometimes the Lord works in mysterious Trade ways. it up. If there is a Lord. <laughs> so this week's... Um, this week's theme, we've been excited for this because it's something we've wanted to talk about for quite a long time. And it's so interesting. Um, but it's Asian America, Asian American representation on screen over the past five years. Now, we chose the past five years because we feel like there's been a massive shift within the past five years when it comes to representation. Um, not so much in the fact that these actors are on screen, but they're actually playing different roles. They're actually being more realistic, more raw. And um, yeah, we've definitely seen a shift in it. So we're going to talk about the past five years, so from 2016 to now. But what I was going to ask you was, obviously last week we spoke about transgender representation and the first things we saw on the screen. What was the first representations you saw in a mainstream audience when it comes to Asian Americans? Because obviously you grew up watching a lot of Indian Mm. movies anyway, but what was the first kind of characters and actors you saw in like a mainstream TV show or film? Um, I feel like it would have probably been Mulan when I was growing up, even though I know that's animated, oh, but yes. I that probably would have been... It's still rep? Yeah, that, it probably would have been that. And I love Mulan, it's just the best. What about you? Who is... <laughs> by Christina Aguilera. Um, <laughs> well, mine are really bad. Well, not all of them, but like The Simpsons, obviously, mm-hmm. is a massive representation, which was awful and was voiced by a white guy and it kind of set up the stereotype that we are going to talk about in more detail so yeah the simpsons was like that for me but then i once i got a little bit older i started watching more films like east is east for example mm-hmm. which i love mm-hmm. i think it's a funny film uh, bend it like beckham as well um but for me like when it comes to like representation especially with women like lucy Liu and charlie's angels absolutely yeah loved her but you didn't really find out more about her background or her heritage. She was just she just happened to be Asian and a Charlie's Angel. And then obviously seeing her in Kill Bill again, you had more for representation there. She was just this really cool woman. Um, but for me, it was Brenda Song on the oh, Disney yeah. Channel. She's she's pretty elite. <laughs> I love Brenda. She was elite. She was great. And it, they never spoke about the fact that she was Asian again. But she was. I mean, she was opposite Ashley Tisdale, mm-hmm. and she was on the, one of the most popular shows. But she did Wendy Wu, and I love. Oh Wendy my god, Wu. so good! Wendy Wu was so cool. If you've got Disney Plus right now, get on your watch list and add Wendy freaking Wu to. Is it Wendy Wu like Princess Warrior? Or something, something like that. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a long. There's a longer title. title. There's a colon yeah. In there somewhere. Um, and then she wants to do the Social Network, and then I've not seen her in anything ever again, apart from that weird Netflix film that came out, and I never saw New it Girl when she was like being stalked. Oh my god, she's yeah. a girl. Oh yeah. But yes, yeah, so they're they're our first kind of representation. I mean, I think we grew up in the nineties and early noughties, so we saw a lot of prejudiced stereotypes, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to South Asian representatives as well. But we should, we've seen a shift, which is good. So, two thousand and sixteen, you uh, brought this up about William Yu's campaign for starring John Chow. Hashtag starring John Chow. Um, 
tell us a little bit more about this because this is exciting. This, this kicks up a lot. Yeah, of this is exciting. So essentially, William Yu, who I'm pretty sure just decided one day to put his Photoshop skills to the test, was trying to make that point that so many films that we watch nowadays with white leads don't need to exclusively be films with white leads. And he went about taking movie posters from like The Martian and all these like big budget films and started photoshopping John Cho, who's obviously a Korean American, um, onto these posters and starring John Cho became this sort of deeper conversation online um, about the lack of Asian American representation, but also it's not even necessarily that these roles don't exist. It's just like a lack of wanting to reach out to people who are Asian to be in these big, like, big budget, like, blockbusters, um, and that sort of almost lack of opportunity as opposed to lack of role, which I thought was really interesting. And it kind of, it just kicked off. Um, I remember seeing it. I think it was, I think I got duped by it because I remember seeing that poster of The Martian with John Cho's face on it. And for a second, I was like, oh, my God, is John Cho going to space? wasn't space. He didn't go to space. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I thought it was... Um, I really think it kicked off. And there's loads of them. They they did all the rom-coms as well, like 500 Days of Summer, Oh, nice. Me Before You. Um, Like these films that they don't talk about these people's backgrounds. You rarely even see their parents. Yeah. So you wouldn't need to... It's not like it exclusively had to be white. I mean, there was everything in there, obviously, like Mother's Day or Tumble Down, This Is 40, Mm -hmm. things where it doesn't... They don't talk about the ethnicity and like we spoke... We spoke about this before on uh, black Oscar winners and nominations, mm-hmm. how it's important to have that. If a character is black, you should know their background. You should know how that's shaped their life. But you have films where they don't talk about any yeah. of that. They just put the character in there. And it was really interesting. I, I had no idea that this essentially led to him finally being a leading mm. man. And also, John M. Chu also said that was the main reason he wanted to make Crazy Rich Asians. Which is huge. I mean, talk about a freaking movement yeah. starter. It's huge. It's crazy. But I mean, that was back in 2016. But one thing I do want to talk about back then is that was the year that Glenn from The Walking Dead was killed off. And he played one of the leading roles in a massive mm. show. I mean, when you talk about long-running dramas, you know, Mad Men, Sopranos, you know, Breaking Bad... The Walking Dead's up there. I mean, even if you don't like it anymore. I mean, I broke up with that show. It was a very long, painful breakup. <laughs> Um, but he was one of the leading roles that was huge for him and he was Korean American as well Um, so that representation was great the following year was a landmark year when it comes to Asian American Mm -hmm. actors in major film products I mean we saw Spider-Man Homecoming oh yeah Jacob Batalon who's a Filipino American actor he starred as Ned and again it doesn't why why wouldn't Spider-Man's best friend be Asian American and he's so funny and he adds so much to the storyline. And you just know that if the film was made 10 years ago, you wouldn't even thought about that. It would have just been some random white kid, you know, someone's son's <laughs> We also had the big sick, so Kumar Ninjani, who's a Pakistani-American actor. He's the male lead. Obviously, this is a little bit different because he co-wrote this film with his wife. Yeah. But still, he is... I think his career has gone incredible over the past five years. I mean, the big sick kicking it off. We've seen him in um, Men in Black. Mm. He was recently in The Lovebirds. He's doing incredible. And again, he's playing the ro- he's playing those roles where it could just be any old white guy. Yeah. Ow. Um, also that year, we had um, Downsizing as well. Uh, which got nominations for Golden Globes and Screen Actors Awards. So Star Wars, The Last Jedi, you had Veronica Ungo and Marie Tran, both of Vietnamese descent. Obviously that kicked off quite a little bit. It did, yeah. People well, I mean people weren't happy and then they made then she made an appearance and I feel like people were fine. I hoped. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe because, you know, we're not racist. We don't understand how someone yeah. can be that angry. And I guess, like, my confusion mainly about any kind of film set in space, like, why are people okay with having, like, green <laughs> aliens and, like, tentacles are coming out your face? But the minute there's, like, an Asian or someone who is black, it's like they shouldn't be in space. Like, that doesn't make sense. This film is literally set outside of this world. Honestly. And that's your main complaint. Oh, I know. It's ridiculous. 
and I mean that should have been celebrated and the massive just representation achievement and yeah it's just so sad um, but yeah a big year there mm. 2018 though this was the huge year Crazy Rich Asians now there was so much buzz about this film there was so much excitement about this film and the production behind it is really interesting as well so Netflix actually wanted to produce the film and offered uh, Kevin Kwan a massive budget mm-hmm. a massive budget and he turned it down he turned it down he went with warner brothers and this all makes me laugh because he went with warner brothers with a small budget of just 30 million tiny you know just teeny 30 tiny million. teeny tiny um but he said that he did this to send a message that asian american studio movies are commercially viable mm. and i think that's so powerful to actually say actually you know what I want to send a message with this film. I don't just want to make it on the dream budget or something like that. And we've seen that recently with Michaela Cole in the in the media because obviously her show, um, I May Destroy You. Yeah. But she turned down Netflix because she was going to lose creative control. And that is such a power play because mm. it's to say, you know what, I don't care if you're going to... It's very old Hollywood, isn't it? We'll do this for oh, you sure. if you give us your free... Like, you know when uh, Ursula takes little... Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Netflix is Ursula. <laughs> and she's just there like, ah, <laughs> Into that damn seashell. Um, I, I love that. I thought it was so, so interesting. And obviously, the film has an all-Asian cast. It's the first US major budget to do so since the Joy Luck Club, which I haven't seen. It would come out 25 years ago. Um, and it's the highest grossing romantic comedy in the decade. It's incredible. I mean, achievements, achievements, achievements. What did you think of Crazy Rich Asians? Because obviously it got a lot of po- po- popularity. Yeah. It didn't do very well award season. Um, I wonder why. Mm. Um, yeah, let me know what you thought about I it. I loved it. I, like, right down to, um, what was her name? In, Rachel Chu. Right down to Rachel Chu's character being an economics professor. Like, just being this really independent, yes. intelligent, like on top of the world um, character who falls in love and it's like a very rational, very real, very like not manipulative between them, even though you've got like that whole mother-in-law angle. Um, yeah. And then you've got like the scenes in um, Singapore and you've got the hawkers market. It's just so like the film itself is so Asian, but in the best way, because you're being allowed to see how another culture lives and functions and, and you know, how it's, it's just it just made me so happy and that wedding scene is like my favorite wedding oh, scene don't. ever that song i can't i listen to it when i'm sad <laughs> if you strip this film down it could be a very basic rom-com you could throw meg ryan mm. you could throw sandra bullock in this film jennifer lopez in this film and it would work Constance Wu and Henry Golding offer this really beautiful element to their performances where they're so likeable and you know sometimes they make decisions that you just think oh god get over yourself but they've got so much depth to their performances that you see their inner struggles obviously they both are suffering from identity crises Rachel is Asian American her family immigrated to America she set up a life for herself she's an independent working woman her race doesn't get in the way of her wanting to achieve that because she's in America and then you have Henry Golden's character who wants to escape that kind of he wants to escape that life of privilege and being treated differently because people know who your family are he wants a normal life he wants excitement you know um, I mean, it's very when you think when you break it down, it's very stereotypical. Mm. It's rich boy meets poor yeah. girl. Um, but then you have this Asian identity thrown into it, where they do bring up how you know Rachel's upbringing's different. She's not of a certain name. Um, his family very prestigious. But then you have all these other side stories that, unlike a film yeah. like Love Actually or um, New Year's Eve or Mother's Day they're not it's not like you've got 20 different characters you've got a very few slices here and Gemma Chan Mm. her storyline is lovely because we have this independent rich woman who has actually tried so hard to make this man love her and she does this iconic line where she says something along the lines of I can't make you what you're not when she's talking about making him a real man sorry I butchered that I should have got that before no it's a good line um it's a good line but it's a very lovely, carefully put together film, and it it shows that 
it for me as well it was interesting to see that singapore lifestyle mm-hmm. and the singapore the wealth that is there um, yeah i think and it just blew up oh yeah it? really i think what it did really well too is combat those stereotypes of asia being a certain way or being perceived in a certain way like just not fun and dangerous and like not particularly attractive but i think it did a really good job at it was like a Singapore tourism boost for so many people, it I feel. Was, it was. <laughs> it did actually do quite like that. I mean, there was elements to like Pretty Woman in there. That's why yeah. when she walks in in the blue dress, but she looks beautiful. Um, and I thought it was really great for her. I think Constance Wu, we're going to talk about her a bit later on because obviously she's done great things when it comes to Asian American representation. Um, but no, it was brilliant. And it introduced us to all of these actors that otherwise we probably wouldn't have seen a lot of before. I mean, Henry Golding's went on to do great stuff. Gemma Chan also, she's in the Marvel Universe now. And obviously Aquafina, um, she then went on to do um, Oceans. Did Oceans 8 come out before or after Crazy Rich Asians? I think it might have been before. Oh, actually. really? Oh, yeah. interesting. But then obviously, yeah, we know her from The Farewell, which we will talk about as well. Um but it did incredible. I mean, that, to be the highest grossing rom-com, that's crazy. And the fact that it could have just ended up on Netflix, yeah. lost in the algorithm. Madness. Um, and you can watch that on Sky. So if you've got Sky, pop yourself on there. But a film that came out in 2018, which we both loved, is Searching. <laughs> now, this film just threw me in because of the premise of it. So essentially the entire film is shot through computer screens and phone screens, a little bit like Unfriended, but it's about finding a missing child. Um, and it's really interesting how they made this film. It took took just two weeks to shoot the film, but it took two years to edit the film. I mean, that's incredible. The animation, the, the, the preparation mm. behind it, it's amazing. And the direction was all done through earpieces because all the actors were in different rooms. I mean, that's, that's just so exciting. But obviously, Searching was the first film to give us John Cho as a lead actor. And I loved it. And again, you could have thrown anyone in this film. Liam Neeson could have done this yep. film. Um, Tom Cruise could have done this film. I'm thinking of other old white guys. Um, yeah, Gerald Butler. <laughs> you know, anyone. You could have thrown anyone in this. But what was really great about this film is that John Chow, when he spoke about it, he said he wants, he wants the future. So it's completely normal to see an Asian-American family mm. on screen. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really, really thrilling. And he's a fantastic actor. We've said this about him for years, obviously. We saw him in Flash Forward, where he was alongside Gabrielle Union, and he was fantastic. And, yeah, this is, this is a great, great film. How did you feel about this? Because, obviously, it was very different to your usual yeah so um searching was one of my favorite films of 2018 i was so mad that it didn't do better i mean i know it did good well at sundance but um it went under the radar it did go really under the radar but i feel like 2018 was a good year for film so that may have been um for that reason but yeah no i agree with everything that john says as far as it being really nice to see an asian family in or being the central plot in a mystery thriller film that is, you know, made so creatively. And I love the relationship that um, John Cho's character David has with his daughter Margot, because you don't often see, I don't think, um, relationships... Well, I mean, you don't see Asian Americans on um, TV as much as we'd like to anyway, but you definitely see the relationship between um, children and their parents even less so. So I thought that was a really um, cool thing to explore, given especially that, you know, um, David Kim's wife, Pamela, dies at the beginning of the film. Um, So it's really just the two of them and um, David's brother. I can't remember David's brother's name. But I loved watching this in the Mm -hmm. cinema. I remember when I took my siblings, they were a little concerned when I told them. So the whole film is, like, shot on computer screens, and they looked at me like, what? (laughs) But um, it's a hard sell. It is a hard sell, but then... It, it the payoff is in, like it's so wonderful and Deborah Messing is really great in this too as much as we're not talking about um, Deborah Messing but yeah I yeah. loved it I think it's interesting because when you tell people oh yeah it's all shot through computer screens um, it's essentially like a bit like a found footage film but the way they edit this film together and the way they tell the story is so thrilling and intense that I was honestly I was like out of breath the yeah. time I was like clutching for that asthma pump I just couldn't and like you get 
thrown so many red herrings all the time so you're like oh yeah he's the murderer she's the murderer he's the murderer oh she's not even murdered she's gone missing she's this she's that there's so many different things happening and that's why i was so sad that it didn't really get that mm. clout that it deserved i mean getting into sundance is huge it's amazing it's fantastic well done but this film this should have been in the award oh, for season sure. boost because it honestly it is it's thrilling and i do think if it was ryan gosling you would have heard more yeah. about it it really, I really it's do. always really bothered me how, because obviously even before searching, in 2017 you had Columbus, another like great performance by John Cho, but I always feel like, and I don't know whether this is, it probably is a consequence of him being an, um, a minority, him being Asian American, but his yeah. performances fly so far below the radar. I'm like, you've completely dismissed someone who's given film after film, like in- incredible performances. So I really hope that... Um, he gets I want John Cho to get that nomination this decade. Yes. I love it. <laughs> your prediction. I want it to 2020 happen. Twenty twenty to twenty twenty nine. I love it. Um and that's available on Sky as well, so you can watch that on Sky. And honestly I would turn all the lights off in your house. In fact, I watched it on my laptop so I streamed oh, yeah. it. And I found that it was real more like thrilling. Right, because it's <laughs> all I on like it was happening to Yeah, because it's all on screens. Well I think the guy who yeah, made Carry on. No, I was going to just say, I, that's the same way I watched um, Unfriended 2. <laughs> Maybe I need to watch Unfriended 2. But no, I know the guy who made um, Searching, he's also um, Asian American. He's, I think he's m- my very kind of Indian. And he has, um, he's, <laughs> he used to be, um, I think he used to be a Google employee, but he's got a horror film coming out um, called Run with Sarah Paulson. Um, I think next year, so that would be another cool one to watch if it's anything like searching. I am there. Yeah. Take my money. I am there. 2018 gave us a huge online rom-com with two other boys I loved before. This was a massive hit when it come to um, film lovers and fans. Um, Lara Jean has pretty much become an icon when it comes to modern day rom-coms. Um, so yeah, so the character Lara Jean is Euro-Asian, so she's half Caucasian, half Korean. Her dad is... I forgot John name, Corbett. I love him. John Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> we love John Corbett. Her dad is John Corbett. Um, and the author is Jenny Han, and obviously it's a rom-com. It's about writing private love letters to her crushes, and then they all get found out. It's a good film, I will say that. It's a good film. I haven't seen the second one still, by the it's way. It's okay. Oh, no, no. I leave it to you to let me know the wrong yeah. one. You know what I'm saying? But one thing I do want to discuss this film is obviously um, Lana Condor is actually is actually uh, Vietnamese, um, but the character is half Caucasian, half Korean. And we've just spoken about John Cho as well. And John Cho starred in Star Trek as Sulu, and Sulu is Japanese. However, John Cho is Korean. How do you feel about this? Because this is something that some people have had a bit of backlash about, the fact that we are casting Asian-Americans yeah. um, as these characters, but we're not actually being ethnically correct when it comes to where they're Yeah, from. I think it's an interesting one. I feel like I definitely don't want to fall into the mistake of homogenising Asians, like, as though we're all the same, because we're not. I mean, I'm South Indian, that's completely different to someone who's Chinese. Hey guys, it's Neha. Um, quick thing, I'm not actually South Indian, despite the fact that I've just said that. I am South Asian. North Indian, specifically. Um, but I feel like, because we're still so early on, unfortunately, still so early on in this kind of fight for representation, that maybe it's not such a bad thing right now. I'd still like to see that change as we know, as representation becomes the norm and it's not so weird to see John Cho as a leading man or whatever. But yeah. I feel like for the minute, I'm okay with it. It's nice to see people saying, this is great, but we can do better. Because I think that's always great to be constantly improving. And I think it's inspiring to see, you know, your particular background, your ethnicity on screen. I mean, I know you've said to me before, and I have other South Asian friends who have said, People keep asking me if I'm fasting and I'm not mm. Muslim, I'm Hindi. And I feel like that's not something we see on TV a lot as yeah. well, that, that that definition and the difference between them as well. Um, I feel like we've seen a bit more of it in recent times. Obviously, we have people like Tan France, for example, uh, who talks about it very openly in his book. 
Um, but yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of, and I think moving forward would be interesting to see because there must be more. Oh, for sure. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I think I don't think we should fall into the trap that we've seen with black actors, for example, where you just have the same three or four actors playing all the roles because they're like, well, you know, I can't find anywhere mm. else, kind of thing. Um, but no, definitely, I agree. I think it's something you don't want to cause a problem with now. Yeah. 2019. So last year we were given a few films. Uh, we had Yesterday and Blinded by the Light, two British films starring two male Asian leads. Um, very exciting. Obviously, Yesterday, we, we don't really touch too much on his background, I think mainly because that, that role was kind of written as a colourblind mm-hmm. role. Um, but it was still great to see that, despite the fact that we've since learned that Yesterday, there was a lot of problems with that production. Yeah. A lot of problems. I'll send you the link to an article <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, listeners. Um, but Blinded by the Light, it was really great to see that rep um, in the... Was it 80s? Yes. It is 80s, yes. isn't it? In the 80s, to see that disrespect and discrimination against his family and him himself in, in school. And I think sometimes we forget about that because I think in we, we see a lot about American racism mm. and there is a lot of British racism that we that we don't see a lot of representation of when it comes to people who are Southeast Asian, for example. I mean, I saw a lot in the school that I went mm-hmm. to and we don't talk about it and I feel like we should talk about it because it still happens today. Oh, yeah. It still happens today. Yeah, for sure. Hugely. And I mean, for you, it must be good to see that kind of rep on screen and to have your story told and to be understood that that's the kind of disrespect that you've had in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. So I grew up in a fairly multicultural, like, city in London. So... Like, there was a running joke in my year group that there were, like, five white kids. So, <laughs> so like, <laughs> in high school, it never really caused me much of an issue. But it was when I went to university, which was in Kent, which is just, you know, you, you know what Kent's like, that yeah. I didn't realise how I was perceived by my country, I guess. Like, I just, I didn't know yeah. that those perceptions existed. I didn't know that people... Um, felt that way about me or about my people so yeah it is really um it's really cool to see that broken down in films in the way that they did blinded by um the light and even sort of um bend it like beckham east of zisa going way back um yeah I, I love seeing it on screen as much as it can be sad sometimes yeah I still think one of the best lines in Bennett Like Beckham is she's not lesbian she's Punjabi <laughs> yeah it's just going to check out you are just legendary um <laughs> And we had Constant Wu leading Hustlers. Now, obviously, Hustlers is based on a true story, and the character Constance Wu played was Asian. Um, but it was still great to have have an Asian lead actress in that role, um, despite the fact that she didn't get nominated for anything. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was good to see her in that role and kind of see that, that journey. I mean, in the film, they say, like, oh, you know, you're young, you're Asian, guys love that. And again, it's showing that fetish side that we've seen through the male gaze when it comes to Asian women. Um, and it was interesting to see that within the film. And we've seen that in many other films. I mean, even in Disclosure last week, we, there was there's mentions in Disclosure about how men fetishize about that Asian woman. And it goes down to transgender, transgender women as well. Um, but yeah, so it was good to see her in that. But I think the big film from 2019 that we've got to talk about is The Farewell, Lulu Wong. Lulu, my mom. Lulu's is fantastic. I mean, this film, she didn't actually set it out to speak from an underrepresented point of view and she didn't want to kind of represent by culturalism. She just said that's who she is and that's yeah. natural to her and organic to her. And I think Lulu's so authentic as a filmmaker and a person that I don't think she ever did. And whereas with Crazy Rich Asians, there was a kind of incentive behind it to say, like, look, we're doing this film and we're going to show you. With the farewell, she was just making a story that she knew very well within mm. herself. Um, but it's interesting because obviously the farewell is a Chinese-speaking film, and she says she can speak and understand Chinese, but she's unable to write or read the language. So she had professional translators help proofread the Chinese dialogue to make sure it, it was read and in a way that she understood. And that again is just another level of care, rather than just oh, saying, yeah. "Yeah, just pop the subtitles on. I'll see it at the premiere." Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. How did you find the farewell? Because obviously we, we see a glimpse of Asian-American immigration life. The majority of the film is in China, where we see that kind of cultural 
um, elements to having a family separate and move to America. Hmm. I think the the thing that really sticks out to me with The Farewell is how it does a really good job at presenting collectivism and individualism. So obviously individualism is the way that we live more so in the West, that idea of like everyone for their own, the rat race, um, that sort of a sensibility. But in Eastern cultures, collectivism is generally the way that we function. You know, the idea of the family being um, the focus, communities, like I suppose and this is not saying collectivism is communism, but I guess that sort of political um, stance also makes sense in that context. So I really liked how you had Billy's character in the film battling with wanting to tell um, Nainai the truth, even though the idea very much was let's you know, shoulder the pain and deal with this as a family from coming from a very collectivist standpoint. So I thought that was a really cool um, exploration of something that I've not seen or maybe I have seen it, but I definitely don't remember seeing it in in film like this before. I like that it was um, showcasing a kind of, this is how you live and this is how we live. Yeah, Um, because we both uh, said we'd never heard of that before, telling an elderly relative that they were going to die. Yeah, I thought it was very cool. It was really fascinating to see just just the way they live their life and how, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about the immigration to America and how that kind of generation of parents are very different to the generation we see on TV a lot. But it must be so crazy to live in a country and have all these routines and, you know, values and cultural values and then for your children to go to a different country and just completely not abandon them because many people do inherit them and take them with them and try and install them in their children. But, yeah, that must be crazy. I mean, we'll probably never feel that, will we? We'll never feel that way. It's very strange. Mm. But, I mean, The Farewell is an incredible film and it's it's so sad and incredibly disappointing that it didn't make it to the Oscars. But it got a lot of achievement when it comes to the Independent Spirit Awards. And I think, I mean, it's going to stay in people's minds for a long time. I think about it an awful lot because it speaks so much about the grieving process and mm. how just, <laughs> just identity in general. And I th- honestly think Aquafina did it. Sorry, I just whacked my microphone. I was like, anger at the Academy! <laughs> I think Aquafina was incredible, and I'm so sad that she won't be able to, you know, have something on a shelf at home to tell that. So let's move on to 2020, obviously. Something happened this year that kind of stopped cinema releases, but um, we did get a great film from Netflix, the half of it, from Alice Wu. Um, I've not seen this film, but you did, and you really mm. liked it. Mm. Um and it's an interesting film because it tells an LGBTQ story. It does. <laughs> um, so you can watch this on Netflix. Um, so with this film, how do you think it presents that kind of Asian American experience? I think it. I mean, I think it does a good job at it because I love the film. Um, but. Yeah, it really kind of delves into Ellie Chu's character. She is from, I can't even remember the name of the town because it was like a bizarre... Yeah, so no, the lead character, Ellie, um, lives in this tiny town, Squahamish, which I'm not even sure is a real place. Um, (laughs) But she and her father are the only two Asian people living in that small town, but still pretty conservative town. Um, And they very kind of like, they physically live away from the rest of... um, their town because her father is a he runs the local train station it's a very sort of quiet um pastoral life almost but you can tell immediately that she doesn't fit in not just because she's asian but well maybe that is the reason she doesn't fit in but also because she is um i don't know if she's a lesbian or if she's bi um they don't make that clear but because she is a little we'll say bi yeah we'll say bi um so i really like that i really like the um relationship between Ellie and her father, um, who, again, as you see, as we'll talk about later, as far as kind of parental relationship go, relationships go, is really interesting. But I think what I really, what I like most about the film in general is that it manages to be both a love story, but also not a love story. Like, it's very much more coming of age and sort of um, finding your feet as far as friendships go and what you want to do. And again, I think the more Asian representation you can get in a coming of age film is only going to be helpful to people so it was um I loved it it was and it's a really pretty film too the cinematography is lovely 
I know it looks so gorgeous. I keep keep meaning to watch it, and I was gonna watch it this weekend um, before this episode, but I just got thrown into the morning show. <laughs> but yeah, that's another story. Um, but no, it's good to have that on on Netflix as well. And I think the good thing about Netflix is you you will see more um, cultural differences when it comes to the casting. And it's really sad to say, but it's because there's less risk. Yeah. And many big studios think it's risky to have an Asian American in the leading role and unfortunately that's why we're going to see we're going to talk about tv representation as we move on and you'll see there's more of that within film and um, more more of that within tv than there is in film because it, they're just stupid and think it's risky um yeah but you can still watch that on netflix but yes yeah, so i mean upcoming stuff you've got shang chi and the legend of the ten rings and this is the first marvel film that is going to have an asian lead character um it is Simi Liu, mm-hmm. who's going to be playing him. He's Canadian-Chinese. I love him. He's so cute. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I, just got like a I recommend Kim's, Kim's... If you've not seen Kim's Convenience, I recommend it, because he is so good in that. Is he good? Okay. So good. Kim's Convenience try. is wonderful. I know you keep... I've seen it on Twitter that you go on about it, so I'm like, I need to watch this, I need to watch this, I need to watch this. I mean, we've had some great Asian cinema recently. I mean, Parasite has done so much. It's just outstanding. And I just hope that everyone within that film gets really big contracts. But obviously, on that note, we are getting a American remake of that. So it's kind of like... And we've spoken about this before, that we're both torn on this, because obviously it's HBO. That the, 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 the makers of Parasite are going to be heavily involved in that. But you do kind of feel like you're taking this really great thing and just kind of making it your own. It's like copying homework kind of thing. Yeah. Know. Have you thought any more on this? Or are you still the same, just torn? Yeah, just torn. I feel like... Oh, I, I, I think there's some comfort in knowing that at least I can hope that the TV show isn't going to be as big. It's not going to be as sort of a cultural like watershed moment as much as the film was. And I think that that's great. But just watch the movie like and it's the same with like old boy because old boy was a um i think it was a korean film and like the grudge and like the eye and all of these sort of these yeah great asian films it's like okay let's just put josh brolin in it just i never saw the old boy remake because i love old boy so much i think it's an incredible film It's, it's dark it's twisted it's disgusting but it's so brilliant um but yeah i never saw the remake because i just thought no i can't i can't Mm. do that i can't do that but there is an interesting film sorry but there is an interesting theme in asian american representation that you you spoke about before regarding the disconnect between immigrant parents and their western raised children and i mean we see this in a lot of things a lot of things i mean you mentioned aziz Ansari's master of none where he talks about in the episode parents i mean one of the things i do love about master of none is that he's it's his actual parents playing these parents there's mm-hmm. a really authentic realistic tone to it um and i i like i said i find it fascinating because obviously i i don't have that experience and i always find it like just then like just imagining your children i mean because raising your children that's an extension of your own identity like i mm. think many people who become parents they want to kind of you know share their beliefs share their thoughts share their culture and obviously religion as well it's such a huge part of it i mean i think it it's funny now i have a new niece and even the fact that my generation don't celebrate celebrate my generation don't really regard our catholicism as very strong but it's mm-hmm. like yeah but we're gonna have a christian baptism you know all that stuff um i don't know i mean you can talk about this much better so I know that Fresh Off the Boat explores this a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, in a very funny sense, especially when it comes to rap in America. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talk to me about this a little bit, because this is something you've seen in things like Columbus, Monsoon and Tiger Tower. Yeah. Um, so what I think is really interesting is you've got the clash of cultures and therefore ideals, you know, um, generations growing up very much with their Asian heritage, but also... Um, within America and so they're kind of battling those very different cultures and figuring out how to make them both coexist together but specifically with Columbus Monsoon and Tiger Tail what I find really interesting is how you've got these millennial-ish characters who 
well, maybe not Columbus, actually, maybe just Monsoon and Tiger Tail, but you've got these, like, millennial age um, characters who go back home or who go back to wherever their parents are from um, to revitalise sort of they're all at these crossroads and they're trying to figure out who they want to be next. And they all kind of go back home to figure out how their parents did it, what their culture's like. So in Asian American films, I found that there's always a, there's a disconnect between how, you know, a child is raised compared to where their parents are from. But there's always that idea of going back to kind of figure out where you're going next. Um, and you've got that, I think, with parents as well, as uh, that episode of Master of None, where if it is very much Aziz, and I think his name is Kevin, talking about how, you know, they don't get to hang, they don't know very much about where their parents are from, but an element of that always felt as though they were looking for where they were from too in order to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think the reason that resonates with me specifically is because I see that now, you know, being 27 and being you know, COVID signaling a very new kind of the world is going to be different. I see it with me and my friends that we are also looking at culture and heritage and the way that, you know, our parents were raised as a way to kind of find a new path to move forward. And it's nice to see that reflected um, without kind of homogenizing Asians again, but see that reflected more so on screen as a way that this is how this part of the world kind of exists and makes sense of the world, which I think is is really nice. I think it's fascinating. I mean, we see people now, like, download these frigging £40 DNA tests to find out where they're from because yeah. they want to find themselves. I mean, I definitely think that... They say with your parents, when you look at them, it shouldn't be like a mirror. It's, like, essentially some part of them... I think some parts we would like to take from our parents and there's other parts that we definitely wouldn't want to take from our parents. Yeah. Um, but I think it's... For, the, for that... For the Asian... Co- for. For the Asian representation, it's so fascinating because there's so many different stories. I mean, Master and None compared to Crazy Rich Asians, compared to the half of it, compared to Never Have I Ever. There's so many different stories, and I think the more that we tell these different stories, the less you're going to get that homogenous approach to it, and people won't just think, oh, you're brown, you're just from there. Or, you know, yeah. It's, and I find that really interesting. Um, and we see that a lot. We we see people say like, oh, I'm going back home to my parents. Oh, is that Bangladesh? Like, no, it's not Bangladesh. I'm from Pakistan. <laughs> it's the same with, oh, Chinese. No, I'm Korean. Uh, no, I'm Vietnamese. Well, I'm Filipino. It's, it, is, it is interesting. Um, I mean, TV shows, like we've said, they've been, they're a lot more inclusive of this stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, like I said, even with the Disney Channel, you had Brenda Song, but that was it you didn't have any other asian disney stars i mean i googled it and there was none um but i mean you know i'm gonna bring up glee because it's like (laughs) the glee had prominent asian american actors within the show you had jenna ashkovitz who played tina and you had harry shin jr who played mike chang and there was a particular episode within glee and it was called asian f and the episode essentially based around the fact that mike chang got an a minus and Tina referred to it as, you got an Asian F. And it explored the route where Mike Chan's father wanted him to go to a good university and become, I think he said he wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer. And Mike obviously was a very great dancer and he wanted to dance. And it was really interesting to have this really deep, meaningful storyline within Glee. Um, and see his father eventually celebrate his talent and celebrate his dreams. And that was just a small little snippet of the show. I mean, obviously, the show was predominantly white. Um, and it had Lee Michelle in it, so obviously it was all about her. But it was just interesting to have that little slice of life. And I think if we had more shows that were just about characters like Jenna Ashkovitz and mm. Harrison June, like, I would have watched that show. I would have watched a show about a boy who wanted to be a dancer and had a pushy father and had an Asian girlfriend. You know, I think that would have been a really great show. Another ele- element of Lee is obviously Darren Chris who is half Filipino, yeah. which has become a little bit of a running joke throughout his later career, because obviously he played um, Anthony Cochran... Anthony Cochran? Fucking <laughs> 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 <Get> hell. <laughs> oh, my God. That, he did not play Anthony Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm getting my American crime stories mixed up. Andrew Kukana was a Filipino-American, but a lot of people, when the show first came out, said, why is Darren Chris playing this character? He's not Asian. 
and he was and it kind of brought up the argument again about this passing element that we talk mm. about a lot when it comes to mixed race actors and mixed race people in general um and then later in hollywood the ryan murphy show it's mentioned again that he's half filipino and he is passing uh, when he's talking to an asian um colleague so it's an interesting side that he is obviously succeeding really well i mean darren chris is doing incredible work and not many people bring it up that he is actually asian american but i mean when you look at tv shows there is a popularity to them i mean community for example one of the most popular characters from community was arbed troy and arbed in the morning become an iconic thing mm. danny poody was the most popular character from that show and he was an asian american i mean he's gone on now to do um Oh gosh, it's the Apple TV show. I forgot the name of it. Mythic Quest. Oh. Um, and he's done great things. He was in Captain um, America as mm-hmm. well. And we've seen this kind of influx as well with when it comes to the male love interest. So like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend completely centres around the main character being in love with a Filipino man. And we see his background. We see his family. And he is the full... He is the main premise of the show. The main love interest of the show. We see it with The Good Place, with Jason. Yeah. He is one of the main characters of the show, and he's a love interest, and it's never spoken about, you know, his background or his family. He is just about his character and the way he's created it. So these great things, I mean, we have a rom-com, Always Be My Maybe, where we have two fantastic Asian leads. And then we have Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> so, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt come out, and Kimmy's main love interest was a character called Dong which obviously brought up a lot of criticism yeah because he was essentially he was very badly written there's there's no beating around the bush when it comes to the fact that he was incredibly badly written and it just didn't really seem I don't really know why they did it but essentially his character was an undocumented immigrant from Vietnam and he spends the majority of the show kind of hiding from the authorities under that. But yeah, his name in the show is Dong. But again, Ki Hong Lee, who plays him, is Korean. Interesting. I do get the feeling that Tina Fey doesn't care. Yeah, that is a very good <laughs> uh, But he's quite, he's done quite well. He was in the Maze Runner film series as well, so he's done better than that. Obviously, he was only on Commissioner for two seasons. But yeah, that did, that did receive quite a lot of backlash. And it just goes to show that if you take it with one hand and... You know, you give with one hand and take with the other. God, I can't speak today. <laughs> but on that, on that note, obviously, one thing we have seen, which is incredibly sad, is there's one thing where it comes to not casting Asian Americans. It's another thing when you cast non-Asian Americans as Asian American characters. Mm. Yeah. Now, I have never seen Aloha. No, me neither. <laughs> but... When I heard that Emma Stone was playing, I can't even take this seriously. Yeah. When I heard that Emma Stone was playing an Asian character, I absolutely could not believe what I was hearing. Why? I'd for many reasons. Obviously, the first reason is if you're gonna hire, if you're gonna write an Asian character, hire an Asian actor. Secondly, though, it's Emma Stone. She could do other jobs. It's not like she's desperate for work. Yeah. It really doesn't make sense. I mean, I know she's since apologised for it, and I do believe that she just she had no account of her own privilege when she took the role, but I just don't understand why you would look, why someone would call you up and be like, hey, so I want you to play a half, I think she was half Hawaiian and half Vietnamese or something. Um, it's like, hey, we want you to play this character. And Emma just goes, yeah, that sounds like something exactly like that's the thing I should be doing with my life. Like, it just... it. Bizarre. It's such a specific character as well. So the yeah. character was one quarter Chinese and one quarter Hawaiian. See, I feel like they've just done that so that they can make excuses for Emma being in the role. Like, oh, a quarter is like not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter if she visibly doesn't look Asian. It's just fine. It's a quarter. I know. It, it, it's just typical whitewashing, really. Yeah. I just really don't understand that. And I mean, and the the um the defense from the casting director was the character was not supposed to look like her background which was a quarter hawaiian and a quarter chinese what the fuck does that mean you're not supposed to look like your background in which case start putting john cho in these white male lead roles if it doesn't matter preach absolutely preach 
And then obviously more infamously was Scarlett Johansson uh, in Ghost in the Shell, which was really, really just sad, I think, because she really unapologetically took that role and any kind of criticism she's faced from that, she just absolutely smacks back. And I don't understand it because, again, it was such a whitewash. It was essentially taking this great story and... Oh, I don't know. I'm very angry about it. Mm. Didn't she say she? I just feel like every time we get into a point where we could work on your character, yeah, you just throw yourself under the bus. I was, I was ready to be like, okay, yeah, it's fine. I'll forgive her. And then didn't she make that comment about how she could play anything she wants, including a tree? And I'm like, what? (laughs) The director, when um, they were speaking to him about it, he said, in defence, there are very few actresses with 20 years experience who have the cyberpunk ethic already baked in i stand by my decision she's the best actress of her generation and my favorite asian apparently like what does that even mean it's just ridiculous it i mean i think when the producers added on saying like um that the film is in an international world with characters of numerous nationalities oh my god just dig just dig in a hole just yeah dig in a hole um it's just ridiculous really it's just absolutely ridiculous but we i'm hoping that we don't we're not going to see that anymore i mean did you see today that halle berry has pulled out of a film where she was meant to play a trans yeah i'm happy she did it i'm glad she yeah made that decision me too i mean after our conversation last week it just there's no excuse anymore there really isn't any excuse anymore one thing i do want to talk about before we end the show is mindy kaling Mm. so I've started rewatching The Office as if I got last week, Jim and Pam in my head and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, I think in the second or third episode, it's called Diversity Day. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just such a problematic episode, but I mean, I don't know, it's The Office, isn't it? So you kind of expect it, it is tongue-in-cheek. But Michael Scott does this horrible impression to Kelly Kapoor, played by Minnie Kaling, Um basically mocking the fact that she is Southeast Asian but for me to see Mindy Kaling like that I mean that was the early 2000s wasn't it she's now gone on to do shows like The Mindy Project and Never Have I Ever Mm. and she was in The Morning Show as well which you didn't know about no I had no idea I watched it yeah where she doesn't no one kind of bases her on her ethnicity it was interesting it's just interesting to see her grow from being the butt of the joke to then making a show about a Southeast Asian girl and her lifestyle and yeah. her culture. I really like that because I learned a lot from Never Have I Ever and it was really interesting to see it authentically and those characters. It was just really nice to see a positive image and a positive story. Yeah. And we, I mean, you do see the discrimination you see in her parents more so than her as times have moved on and she's a teenager now in 2020, so mm-hmm. it is different. But it was quite refreshing to see that movement from her being the butt of the joke to her now doing something that's educating and innovating it really, isn't it? It's innovating the way we, we're perceiving things. I mean, people talk about that show because it's a really, really great show. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like there was, I was like, oh, she's going to say something. Yeah, no, it's been really... Um... It's been really nice to see Mindy Kaling do so well. Um, and, you know, we talked about in the in, in last week's episode about trans representation where they talked about if there's one clumsy portrayal, like an entire community's representation doesn't hinge on it. I'd like to think that now that we've got more East Asian um, writers and directors and actors and so forth that we get representations are a little more nuanced and I think we definitely see that with Never Have I Ever like Mindy Kaling's definitely learnt um, how to be a little less oh I don't even know what the word is because we said this before the problem we have with Mindy Kaling sometimes is that with her love interest in particular she's never really keen on having a a brown male lead I mean we didn't see anything in the Mindy project no they actually make a joke about it, yeah. I had no idea until I was watching The Mindy Project and Danny says something like, oh, but Mindy only d- dates white guys. And I was like, so she's aware? Like, she's self-aware enough of this criticism and she's still not, like, I don't know. It felt bizarre. But even in Late Night, and she wrote that she wrote that film, yeah. and both the male interests are white. 
I mean, to be honest, in that film, it's mainly because the whole room is white. So, but still, she could have made some changes. Mm. Um, but it's different yeah. with Never Have I Ever because you've got very attractive Asian men in Never Have I Ever. Very attractive. So fit. Um, but then you've also got the character that's like, what, half, half Japanese? <laughs> he's like 29 I really think season 2 is going to be us finding out Paxton Hall Yashid is like a college student and he's just been undercover this whole time that can be the yeah, only explanation I think so or like he's just really dumb and just cannot pass like yeah. 12th grade I can totally see that coming I am excited though because it has been renewed for a season 2 which is really great I, I always forget sometimes that you just literally you're on tender hooks just waiting for things to be renewed yeah um, I am really excited for that I mean, that's just the past five years. There's so much more that's out there. I mean, we we're at, we're not able to cover everything. So, if there's anything that if any Asian American representation that you think we should check out or talk about, let us know. Um, I'm excited for the way ahead. I'm excited to see more John Chow films. I'm excited to see, you know, just more of this different stories and different backgrounds and histories and cultures. I mean, like we said, we learned so much from the farewell. Yeah. On that, and we learned so much from Crazy Rich Asians and. It would just be great to see more of this in the mainstream. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Me too, man. Me too. Me too. Well, that's all from us this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you're all keeping well. I know some people might be returning to the office, and some people might be returning to work. Just keep your head up, and don't let the bastards grind you down. As yes. Said. <laughs> yes. Fuck JK Rowling. Yes. Oh. Bye. Bye.